What time is it? And we're back. Back like we never left. Got the gang back together after a long hiatus. This is going to be, I guess we're going to draw a line here and say this is uh, the beginning of season season two, season two, episode one of the 237 podcast coming at you. After three different bouts of uh, COVID. Yeah, uh, Steve almost died. <laughs> um, we, we all got sick, pretty much. Well, other than other than Scott and Matt, somehow managed to avoid it. Miraculously avoided. Yeah, we still haven't quite figured that out. Um, we, we definitely know, well, we've always known that Scott needs to be studied for science. So <laughs> now we've just got one more, one more case study to try to figure out what the fuck is going on there. Hey, <laughs> cigarettes, Coca-Cola, and nabs. I mean, what can I say? Yeah, that, that's what the doctors say. That's uh, studies have shown. The, All right. the key to long health. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we laugh about it. He's going to be the last one of us. I know he's going to he's going to outlive us all. It reminds me of that. Uh, have you seen the movie Get Him to the Greek, where they're talking about all the like old rock stars that like how you just they're unkillable? It's like Ozzy Osbourne's going to outlive Miley Cyrus, and so far that's looking <laughs> that's looking pretty accurate. I doubt it. Yeah. So, what's gonna what's gonna one of the ways that ep, uh, or season two is going to be different from season one is we're going to start to break this show up into segments. Uh, I think we're going to do three segments every week, and that, that's going to give you a little bit of a change of pace. And that way, if you get distracted and have to stop listening, and you want to pick back up, it'll be a little bit easier for you to find your place because you'll know what segment you were in. And also, it'll just, I don't know, so we're not talking about the exact same subject every time. And we can always make sure that we're talking about some of the more spookier, supernatural, unusual things in 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 tandem with um, things like conspiracy theories and more like real-world issues and things that are in the current you know, media so it, it'll just I, the idea is to make the show a little more dynamic and to make sure that there's a little something for everyone and to make sure that everybody's getting to talk about the types of subjects that they're interested in. Because I know me personally, I have a very wide range of interests that span from anywhere from politics all the way up to UFOs and everything in between with, um, you know, the paranormal and parapsychology and things like that. All the things that we've kind of touched on up to this point. So segment one which we haven't named yet. Name is uh, TBA. But that's going to be Steve's segment. We're going to let him kick it off every show. Uh, the, most popular, <clears throat> the most popular episode that we've ever done was uh, episode one, which was on Steve's story about his UFO sighting. And um, I think that that is something that a lot of people, a lot of listeners are, are interested in, in hearing more about and the types of stuff that he's interested in. And uh, so, Steve, what what do you have for us um, to kick the show off? Well, I think what I'm going to do for the next few weeks is just touch on things. Today, it's going to be about crop circles. Okay. Not going to go into any real depth on it, but just I want to touch on a bunch of different topics to get people thinking, and maybe they can go start 
researching some of this stuff. And then in later topics, we'll go back and revisit, but go into more depth. Yeah. And I think it'll be cool too, because inevitably what's going to happen is things that you talk about in the beginning of the show. And then when we get to the meat of the show or the main segment, I I think there's going to be a lot of times where you can kind of take something from that, that first part and it'll, it'll all just kind of naturally weave in together. That seems to be what happens as we, as we've progressed through the show and all the things we've talked about. It seems like all of this stuff in one way or another is, is interconnected in in some fashion. So, um, I think every bit of it is, you know, ghost crop circles, near death experiences, you know, the whole gamut, it's all tied together. Belief systems. Yeah. All hypnosis and you just, all this stuff to do with psychology and theory of mind and parapsychology and precognition and all the stuff. I don't know. I feel like there's, there's common threads that kind of run between all of this and, and kind of make it all connected. Right. So um, let's. uh, Thank you, Scott. (laughs) Scott adjusted my microphone to bring it closer to my mouth. So Steve, when, when someone is, when you're talking with someone and the subject of crop circles comes up, what is what is the first thing that kind of comes to mind when you start thinking about crop circles? Is there any is there any one particular case that you feel like is just a, a smoking gun, or is it, or is there like a, a series of really good ones that appeared in a common area? Is there any? Uh, I mean, wh- wh- where where are you at with this? Well, it, they show up all over the world. There's like 47 countries that have reported crop circles and. There's tons of researchers that actually go out and and photograph, send aircraft. Now they can send drones over top to take a look at. And they can also quickly determine whether it was man-made or if it was made from some own unknown source. So you're not under the impression that no that no crop circle that's ever been seen is man-made you you're not it's not like you ought there is there is a burden of proof with you or there is some standard where it's like you know well you know listening to these researchers you can quickly tell which ones are man-made no matter you know if they look like they're technically correct in their 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 circumferences and and the image that they're trying to portray but there's there's definitely interest in, or differences in how the stocks are laid over. Okay. Um, people that are using boards and all that tend to stomp, stomp, stomp. And you can see those stomp marks on the wheat or barley or whatever the field's containing. And the stocks don't generally lay flat down. They are poking up a little bit. But with the ones that we deem original that are not man-made... The nodes, which are the little joints in between the stalks, are actually blown out like somebody boiled the water in them. They exploded, and then the stock just laid over. So, if you are, if you're just going out there and you're bending stocks and you're, you're whatever using physical strength to lay these things over. There's going to be, it's going to be like when you have a hair that's poking up and you press it down and it kind of lays down, but it kind of also jumps back up and there's kind of an unevenness to it. Exactly. And then you will, you know, with the board stomping, you're going to see every time that board's moved, a crease in those plants. Okay. So you can kind of see segment by segment as they move throughout the thing. Right. And then there's a lot of mud and dirt because these people had to get out there and they're stomping around and you're pulling dirt from B 
beneath the stocks and dumping it on top. So as for the ones that it, it, you don't believe were done by humans, where it looks like there's a little more uniformity to it, and it almost seems like there's some kind of chemical reaction that's happened within the stock that caused them all to lay over the exact same way, and like I said, with a lot more uniformity. Um, are, are there any theories about what that, what's actually happening to the stocks that causes them to lay over like that? I think there's theories, but nobody knows exactly the mechanics on how that happens. You know, there is footage out there with flashes of light, orbs flying over top, and you just see this, the crop circle forming. That's what the whole thing's about, is trying to figure out how is that taking place? What's the mechanics behind that? Mm-hmm. And we may never know, you know, not in our lifetimes anyways. So nobody's proposed like, all right, well, it's clearly this type of technology that's being used. Right. And, you know, when they go in there. Lasers or, I mean, I don't know, some kind of, te- well, you were saying something about the temperature where it seems like there, it, there's like a heating aspect to it. Yeah, where the nodes are, it's like the water's boiled and they just, they explode. Interesting. From, from the inside out. So like a microwave almost. Yeah, yeah. And there's electromagnetic radiation that's much more intense inside the circle than it is outside the circle. So they, they, they know what they can measure inside the circle, and then they go 10 feet outside of the circle, and it's not happening. Like a lot of people taking their phones and stuff in the circle, their equipment quits. Mm-hmm. Their phones go dead, and the, I mean that's reported over and over and over. Interesting. Like there's some kind of radiation. Right. Residual radiation. Yeah. Um, it, it, it almost, regardless of who, who you think is behind these, whether you think it's extraterrestrials or you think it's something terrestrial, it seems like to me that they are being done from like overhead, like some kind of aerial thing is, is doing this. It's not like there's not actual beings on the ground in, in any of these cases, in any of the good crop circle cases, it, it's not like there's things moving around on the ground. It has to be done from up in the air, right? Right. Well, it, not necessarily. It was like I was just telling Rob before we went on the air here. Um, there's a case that I, it's on one of the videos I was watching. And these uh, two guys, one of which was a had a ton of video equipment out there, infrared, all all sorts of different cameras, video cameras, and they got out, and this is in England, so it gets dark at like 11 o'clock, and then it starts, the light starts coming up, you know, like 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And they had all these cameras and everything out, video cameras, still cameras. They saw a burst of light at about 20 after 3, big burst of light. The guy eventually, you know, when the light came up, they saw the crop circle sitting there and Mm. then went back and looked at the footage. And the footage actually caught the burst of light. And then 10, 15 minutes later, when when the sun was rising, there's the crop circle sitting there. That's interesting. So it's almost like something went over the top of it. And then, I mean, I'm just imagining, I'm imagining something with... uh, a, a technology that's similar to a camera where you go over the top of it and then you've got an image that's already laid out on the display and you basically hit a button and there's a flash and anything that is that is marked in that area just automatically lays over. 
That's how, yeah. Yeah. That's the way it seems it's happening. Because, I mean, with the amount of these that have happened, you would expect that, okay, if if something is just hovering over the top of it meticulously, you know, drawing this thing the way we think of, like, a human sitting with a pad of paper and drawing a doodle or whatever, somebody, that process would take a while. So odds are something somebody would have seen one of these things hovering over the top of a field drawing one of these things unless it was instant and then the thing's just gone and all all you would see is a flash of light basically yeah, like the flash be. of a camera. You know, a lot of people are attributing it to UFOs. Others are, you know, I, I've got a couple theories running through my head. Is it aliens? Is it us mm-hmm. as a consciousness, as a world consciousness, talking to ourselves, or? These things do all line up across ley lines all around the world. I mean, there's multiple, you know, the the old story about Doug and Dave, they did them all. Well, Doug and Dave would have had to do one in Canada, one in the U.S., and one in England. Well, tell us about Doug and Dave, because I don't even know who they are. Doug and Dave, I want to say, came around 79, 80, came out and said that they were the creators of all these crop circles. Okay. And then people kind of researched them, people interested. But for the most part... Everybody at that point around the world just said, oh, okay, Doug and Dave make them. But some serious researchers who've been researching these things for years and years went in to find out who Doug and Dave were, and it turns out that they were hired by a company called MBS Services, Hmm. which didn't exist. They couldn't find anything on this service. So it was like a Shell Corp LLC, just no assets. It's just a a made-up company, basically. But people that actually researched it knew that Doug and Dave couldn't make all of them. Yeah. Did they make a few? Yeah, probably for the TVs and all that. But probably never really got out there and made any of them prior to them coming out. So did they go through and do a play-by-play, like, here's how we did it? Yep, yep. There's, and there's how, footage of them doing that. And how did that stack up against some of the some of the spookier ones or some of the some of your favorite obvious, ones? Obvious difference. Okay. Huge difference. Yep. And and lastly, before before we move on from crop circles, is what what's your favorite? Do you have like one favorite one? And is there like good lore around it? Um, what, well, like, you know the ones I've been talking to you guys about here recently. I like uh, from two thousand six to two thousand twelve. I think there were a lot of Mayan symbols implanted in the, in these crop fields. Which lines up with what Scott was saying all the way up through 2012, that the earth was coming to an end. And, of course, I called him the day after. Yeah. <laughs> Still but, here. But, yeah, but anyways, now that I'm into it and I had the UFO experience two months prior to the earth coming to an end and years into it, it wasn't about the earth coming to an end. It was about a time coming to an end and a new time starting. And the funny thing is, as we approach 2012, all these Mayan symbols that are attributed to the Mayan culture in their writings and chiseled in stone were showing up in these fields. And uh, now, why do you think that was? Why do you think that was going on? I imagine to give some legitimacy to the prophecy. I, I would guess to the Mayan prophecy that was being talked about. I mean, Scott was yeah, seeing but, it. But the, the prophecy wasn't <clears throat> the world's ending. No, no, that's what I just said. It turned, But a lot of people were thinking that's what was going to happen. 
but it was a time that was ending and a new time starting is what it was, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that too. But yeah, I'm still trying to figure out why the crop circles would would be giving legitimacy to what the Mayans believe. I don't the Mayans know. belief. I don't know. I mean, maybe the Mayan is, maybe the Mayan calendar was developed off of crop circles that were happening in their times. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, could they, you know, unless you have our technology, how are they able to see the crop circles? But they were getting their information from standing on top of pyramids that they also didn't build. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Well, I mean, that could be that could be the case. But I also think that uh, whoever's pumping out the information in those crop circles was probably the same entities are linked with the entities that around the world were given these ancient civilizations the technology they had to move 1650 ton stones mm. i think we just figured out what the what the reason they built the the pyramids was so they could see the crop so circles they could see the crop circles. Well, there you go oh, vantage point on you know yeah i got like way deep in the whole 2012 conspiracy stuff and in the process of it by the time it got real, really close to 2012, no, I was pretty damn sure the world was not going to end. Uh, let me clear that up real quick. Uh, not according to Steve. <laughs> on that note, that the, the whole that that whole idea of 2012 got so corrupted by so many people. Yeah. Right. That it got blown so out of proportion on the world's going to end, this is going to happen, the Bureau, this friggin' the 10th planet's going to come in and destroy everything. You got Nancy Lederman, you got, I mean, there's a whole slew of people who got pretty, made a crap load of money off of the whole 2012 yeah. stuff. A lot Spilling of all of this. Sold. True. A now, lot of food buckets are still getting sold. Every time know, there's like. The, <laughs> on the crop circles, there's. There's crop circles where you can't explain there's crop circles. You can't. How many of the ones that had Mayan stuff put in it were man-made to expand on that whole 2012 idea? How many of them are real? How many of them are fake? How many of them? They were all real. Well, that's an... No, it's not. Unless you've got some way of blowing the nodes out of a plant and making it lay over in a beautiful, beautifully... I mean, they, 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 they pretty much can tell which immediately when they go into them which ones are real. And these were done, it, regardless of what you think the source is, these were done with a very high level of technology. These were, these were technologically done. These weren't people out there with two-by-fours and, you know, pieces of plywood pu- pushing stuff over. Yeah, and, and it the- wasn't, it wasn't, it almost certainly wasn't done because of the uniformity of it and the symmetry of it, it almost certainly wasn't done at the ground level. It would have had to have been done at, at, from an elevation. Um, well, and also some of these things are multi-acres. And there's one that's got I bet you the farm 242 circles in it, I think is what they say. That one that looks like a fractal? No, the one that's all these circles that go around both ways, and then the circles coming off, the circles going around on both sides of all these circles. You know what you know what a fractal is, right? Yeah, isn't that what it looks like? I don't know. Yeah, I know. I can picture yeah, the fractals. ones I was looking at. Yeah, but the thing yeah, is, fractals. But the, but, but the thing is, they would have, they had uh, five hours 
to create that. So how many people, without ruining all the crop around them with uh, 200 people going in there with well, boards? Yeah, but the thing is that it's, they're not saying that it was created in one night. Oh, these because, things are created in but minutes. That, that one in particular. Yeah. They're not watching all these fields 24-7. So you can't say that th- that, that particular crop circle was made only in one night. I mean, well, how, how long realistically it, it could, could you expect could a farmer t- to not notice? A week of nights because no one's watching the field. Well, I mean, the farmer lives right there. So well, here, here, here's the other thing. Why not, you know, you'd have to what, see what, like one of the governments creating these things with a pulse with a pulse energy weapon that, that they're actually doing it to test the weapon. Maybe. Low energy pulse uh pulse Oh, uh, to to take out crops like if you had if you had a foreign enemy and they were not, not only to take out crops you could take but to out take their food out supply anything the and or to to dial the thing in and see but how precise napalm, they can napalm get. works pretty good too is the other thing <laughs> you know you could well covertly and the thing is with these crop circles especially in in England southern England they show up pretty close to the same time every year in the same spots. Well, that's why I was. Mm-hmm. Where where are the price? right seventy? Uh, I'm, you don't hold me to these numbers, but it's right around seventy percent of them show up in southern England, England of all the crop circles, and they show up pretty regularly around the same time. That's why these guys are out there with cameras and sitting there because they know that within just a matter of days this is going to take place, and it does. And they know it happens within five hours. The farmer, I would think, would notice when there's, like for that big one there, there'd be a pile of cars out there <laughs> and probably a lumber truck and, yeah, if, and if, rope. If, and If they're trying to do it all in five hours. Well, if they're, yeah, I mean, or... You know what I mean? Even because weeks. Because the, farm, the farmer's not out in his field every day. And no, 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 but he would see, like, you know, when these crop circles do show up, the farmer doesn't necessarily know they're there, but the crop circle people who watch these things know no one just took place. And the farmer notices all the people wanting to come and go into his field to examine this crop circle. So I would think the farmer would also notice if somebody was going in there to create a crop circle. But the farmer's sleeping at night, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I would think for the most part... If this was done by hand, it'd have to be done during the day. It's not going to happen at night. Okay. I wouldn't think so. Uh, the, 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 not without lights that you would there see. There are some of these that there's, yeah, they are so intricately well, done I'm, that I know even I'm, to I'm do not, them during the day. I'm not trying to explain would, them all, right? You know, I'm not trying to. Well, say you're the resident skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to say that they're all done by people. There are some that are definitely unexplainable, yeah. but there are some that. <laughs> not all of them happen overnight because the field is not watched every night. I mean, it's that, just that, they've already called people do, doing them, so sure. we know we know people are faking them. Sure, for sure, but and that, that, that happens. That big one that you're talking about. That big one that you're talking about. Are there any? When they did the research on it, did they say this thing happened? Uh, well, let me give it. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'll get you a timestamp on it and find out. Well, it would be interesting to know if they have an we, idea of how long it took for them to make that. You know, or, or, okay, this field wasn't being watched for a week, and all of a sudden somebody looked at it and this was here. Yeah. It could well, have when we get into more week. depth on it, I'll give you that info. You know? I don't know. I don't know. 
One thing that's interesting to me and kind of kind of my final thoughts on this just for now before we leave it alone is um, the thing about when you when you think about humans, let, let's say if you were going to say, all right, these are all man made and these are all human made. I might not know how they're doing it, but this, these are humans. These are, and it couldn't possibly be anything else. The, the question then would be when you look at. When you look at humans doing things to or, or, or something this intricate that would be this time consuming that would require this amount of technology, generally, if you're going to invest that much time and energy into something, you've got a reason or a message or something you're trying to get across. You've got some kind of ideology and you this is this would be a tool that you could use because it is so spooky and controversial and it does get a lot of attention there would almost certainly be some kind of narrative or something that you were trying to push in a certain direction. And in the cases of these crop circles, there doesn't seem to be that. It seems to just be like geometry and unusual symbols that nobody quite knows how to interpret. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of disagreement over, well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means that. And it doesn't really seem to, ascribed to any particular religion or ideology. And that is what kind of gives some credence to the idea that maybe it's not man-made just because it doesn't seem to be done in a way that's manipulative towards getting people to do certain things or believe certain things. Well, and I think also too, I mean, one of the questions like Scott said to me years ago, why would aliens come all this way and speak to us through crops? Because they don't know how else to communicate with us. Well, so you land on the White House lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think I think what the deal is is they uh, there's how many different languages on this on the planet, but a common thing for everybody is symbols and math, right? And it seems to be they're communicating through symbolism, which incorporates. In some cases, some very high-end math. And we're assuming it has a physical body that can physically land on the White House lawn and step out. I mean, you know, yeah, they, they, they might, might be not. able to. They might be able to project something, but I mean, well, we're gonna, our our reaction we're to that deep, deep, so, deep. So yeah. now different dimensions, right? Perhaps I don't yeah. know. I, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. What the heck? Yeah, yeah. I think I think all of the above. You know, sure. Are other planets from? different dimensions you know and that's something i've been thinking about is when you look out in the sky are you actually looking into other dimensions because physically we can't fly there but somehow they're getting here and they're not well and getting here probably pretty quick physics is slowly proving that you can get there they're doing it now so then obviously it's possible right all right well let's uh let's move on to the next segment you guys want to take a little five minute break here and Sounds good. Recalibrate. Sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. When we come back, we'll jump into Lewis Jolly and West. Oh, exciting. <laughs> so, in the last episode of uh, season one, where we left things off, we were talking about conspiracy theories. And we didn't dive into any specific ones. It was more a matter of talking about ways to think about them, um, you know, he- healthy ways and angles to uh, come at it from the 
the ways that they've been kind of delegitimized and sort of uh, ridiculed and villainized now, villainized even, yeah, mm-hmm. which and, is and used to just disclaim anything that the government or certain groups don't want you to freaking think about. If it doesn't line up with the official narrative, then it's now. It's well, now now we have new terminology for it. it can, the the whole branding it as a conspiracy theory is no longer. It's like they're almost trying to get that word out of out of it, and now we're calling it misinformation. But it's really just a rebranding of the same thing. And actually, before we get out of here today on this episode, the way we're going to close the show out is kind of a discussion on free speech in general, and we're gonna we're gonna touch on some of the some of the misinformation stuff. Uh, but for now, I want to talk about one of the most curious and unusual figures in the world of conspiracy theories and conspiracies in general. And it, it fascinates me because I'll bet you I could go around and poll people and the vast majority of people have never even heard of the name Lewis Jollyan West, a.k.a. Jolly West. This, this is a fascinating character who, when you read about him, you almost can't believe he's real. Like, he stepped right out of a dystopian novel. He's like almost like a supervillain type of character, but he lived his entire life kind of sheltered and was well-funded and had a lot of support from within the government. He got a lot of things done. There's probably a lot of parallels that you could draw between him and the, um, the scientists that conducted experiments on people in concentration camps during World War II, um, the line of distinction that you would draw between him and Joseph uh, Mengele, or right, Joseph Mengele, exactly. It's it's a pretty fine line, Anthony Fauci. <laughs> and we yeah, we also need to say that we're we're referencing a book by Tom O'Neill called Chaos, and if you haven't read it. It's kind of hard to find, but you can download the book, and Audible also has it. And it's you can get it on Amazon. Now, a little disclaimer about this book: it is dense. There is a lot to it. The guy took twenty years to write the book. Um, he was supposed to be doing an article um, for the magazine that he was working for at the time, and it was supposed to be the thirty-year anniversary of the Manson murders. And it ended up taking him twenty years to write what what was meant to be an article turned into a full-on novel. And it'll probably take another 20 years for you to read it so many times so you can incorporate. And you'd, have to read it, you'd have to read it more than once. Yeah, yeah, there's so much information in that book. Well, I've been through it twice, and I, I still don't really feel like I have you know a, a full picture because there's so much that is covered around not just the Manson murders, but he gets into MKUltra and uh, mind control experiments with the CIA. He talks about the Black Panther movement and conspiracies, not even conspiracies, but proven facts around what uh, the CIA did to them. Um, COINTELPRO, which was like a counterintelligence program that was basically designed to spread disinformation. Well, in the JFK, the Robert Kennedy, the Martin Luther King... All, all of it. Of, yeah, yeah, it all kind of ties together. It, yeah, so he touched on all of it. So I was kind of coming at this from a place of what is one focal point that we could lock in on 
where we could kind of talk about all of this stuff. What is what is the most common thread that I could identify that sort of ran through all of these conspiracies? And the place where I arrived was Lewis Jolly and West. Now, he was originally, um, he started out as a, a, a soldier. He, uh, he joined the, what was it, the Air Force... During World War II. During World War II, yeah, and quickly rose to... Um, colonel. Colonel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quickly became a colonel. <laughs> I just heard all this on the right here. Oh, no kidding. Okay, yeah. well, good. It'll be fresh in your memory. Um, so, yeah, he uh, he came out, and he eventually became a psychologist um, and started working at a university. I think it was Cornell University, and he was immediately fascinated he always seemed to have a fascination with mind control and psychedelics and hypnosis he was doing all that for the air force before cornell yeah he um he i think his first assignment was actually it wasn't for the air force cia yeah but he was doing it on the air base and he was doing it to american soldiers against their without their knowledge or their consent um, but he also did some projects that were a little more on the book, like, for instance, uh, there were soldiers that came home from the Korean War who were uh, prisoners of war, and they came back saying, admitting that they had committed all of these atrocities, um, in some cases using chemical warfare, which was extremely illegal at the time, and the U.S. said, we would never do that. Yeah, he was, he was attributed with deprogramming them. Yeah, so they, they, they come back and they're saying, uh, they're, they're, they're admitting to have, having done all of these horrible deeds. And the CIA and, and the government and Jolly West are like, no, 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 you didn't do any of that. Let us, let us, uh, <laughs> let's get you in the, this hypnosis room and let's dose you up with some things. And we'll see if we can uh, jog your memory about what actually happened over there. And before you knew it, by the time Jolly West was done with it, yeah, sure enough, they had been, they had been brainwashed over there. And that's why they were saying they did all these horrible things. We would never do those things to our enemies. You know, they also said in that book that the term brainwash was, wasn't in the English vernacular until 1950. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's when, that's when this was done. Um, Texas, and, Texas and Oklahoma air bases in the 50s and 60s. And now, this was actually printed that behavior control experiments on not just soldiers, but later on Americans using both drugs and hypnosis were done to them without their knowledge or consent, and this was printed on the front page of the New York Times in 1977. Jolly West denied it until the day he died. Uh, he never admitted to doing any of this. However, in Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos, he actually found documents at UCLA that proved that he did it, and, and he actually found correspondences from between Jolly West and CIA directors saying things like i can think of no higher of a calling or no noble no more noble of a calling than to learn how to control and manipulate human behavior in the human mind without their knowledge yeah and they were and and they were gleeful about it and he really felt like i i guarantee you if you could talk to jolly west today he's looking at he looked at it through the lens of he was doing the right thing and that if we don't do this, someone else is going to figure out, figure it out before we do. They already thought the Russians could do it. Yes. That's well, why they did all this. 
there are a lot of parallels between this and the remote viewing stuff that we talked about at the Stanford Research Institute. The whole reason that that all got kicked off was because they had intelligence coming out of Russia that they had already figured out how to do this remote viewing stuff. Yep. And they were worried it was going to be used against them, so they had to figure it out first. And there's also parallels there with the whole uh, space race. Does that mean that Russia made it to the moon first? <laughs> <laughs> they well, they were worried that they were going to. So then that that kicked us into high gear. So there's it, it's interesting how many, how much overlap there is here between when when we feel like our enemies are going to figure something out or have figured something out that incentivizes us to do in some cases, terrible things to our own people because we're, in our minds, we're doing it to, it's better we do it to them than have it done, you know, by, by a foreign government. So anyway, we got this, we got this Jolly West guy and the reason he comes into the fold um, in the context of the Manson murders is because he accepted an office at the Haight-Ashbury Clinic, which was a, federally owned government facility where of a health clinic where people people could come and be treated for whatever problems they had so um it probably wouldn't surprise you to learn that uh charles manson's harem of women often had unwanted pregnancies and stds that needed treatment but they wouldn't it's not like they just came in whenever they had a problem, this kind of became a, a crash pad, a hangout area. Um, they could be seen there all the time, which was unusual because these were very counterculture type figures. You would never expect, expect them to hang out at a government owned facility, but they loved it. And they, they decorated the place out, um, made it look very uh, psychedelic. There was pictures of like, naked bodies on the wall like you know kind of cartoonish and everything was like flowery and uh you know psychedelic type colors and geometry and things and uh, all the all the decorations and stuff so they were really trying to make these people feel at home you've also got the fact that david smith roger smith were both involved, and, and of course Jolly West, were all obsessed with psychedelic drugs and hypnosis and uh, behavioral control experiments. And you've also got the fact that Char Charles Manson seemed to have an unlimited supply of LSD. He always had the stuff. And nobody asked where he got it. Nobody ever asked how he got it, and, and no one seemed to care. Um, you've also got the fact that Charles Manson had an apparent get out of jail free card. There are a million things that he could have been locked up. I mean, it, the first time you ever hear of Charles Manson, he spent the majority of his early life in jail. Well, and Charles Manson also knew how to hypnotize people. Yeah. He was taught and, uh, the daughter, I can't remember exactly who taught him, but it was one of these people within this group. And the daughter remembers her father teaching Charles Manson how to hypnotize people. He was, um, yeah, it, it, he well, he was held in federal penitentiaries. It, it wasn't like he was picked up on, on petty crimes. It seemed like everything that he got in trouble for in his early life was considered a federal crime. So he was always in doing federal time in federal facilities. And then he ends up hanging out in this 
you know, federally owned clinic. So there's a lot of ties between him and these types of figures. Um, now, Roger Smith is an interesting guy because he wasn't he, he served as Charles Manson's parole officer, but he really wasn't professionally a parole officer for the majority of his career. He was actually a psychiatrist or a psychologist, excuse me. And he was a social worker or something, wasn't he? No, he well, he he did that for a while at, to basically to supplement his income. Right. It was not something that he did very much of, and he didn't have many people that he was responsible for. But he took a special he was, interest. He was a trained psychologist. He was a trained psychologist. Yeah, and he and he eventually took a job at the Haight Ashbury Clinic where Charles Manson hung out. This guy also went so far as to when one of Charles Manson's girls got arrested, she was pregnant and she had a child, and it was Charles Manson's baby. It was the first. It was the first child of the family. Didn't she have that in prison? She she did, and Roger Smith went down and basically adopted the baby. Right. Him and his wife raised it. Right. So this Roger Smith also wrote a ton of letters to the parole board. Uh, trying to get, uh, trying to excuse uh, Charles Manson to do all kinds of things. He wrote stuff to try to get him to go down to Mexico. It certainly sounds more than just a parole officer. He was a lot more than a parole officer, and and I mean they had they had nicknames for each other. They were they were very much buddy buddy. So you had that was the Roger Smith, who was also a psychologist, also working at Hay Ashbury Clinic. Then you also had David Smith who was the director of the entire facility. Wasn't he a doctor? He was also a doctor. He was a psychiatrist. And he also had done a lot of research on, um, especially with rodents, uh, rat, both rats and mice, yeah, right. LSD, LSD experiments. Right. Yeah, and what happens That's when... That's all the rats ate each other. Correct, <laughs> yeah. So you, you have all this going on, and then you've also got Jolly West, who's in the fold. And he's he's an interesting character because... Jolly West was also the only, well, he wasn't the only, but he was involved in the JFK assassination in the sense that um, prior to, so Jack Ruby runs up and kills Lee Harvey Oswald before we can ever really get any information out of him. Basically, the only video we have of Lee Harvey Oswald after he was arrested is him kind of getting shot. Well, mm-hmm. well, they do have at least that that one scene where he's walking through the prison. And he's he, they're booking him, and he's saying they're saying, "Why'd you do it?" And he's going, "I didn't do it. I wasn't even in the area. I'm a patsy." Mm-hmm. And so that's really all we ever got of him. And then Jack Ruby just out of nowhere runs up and shoots the guy and kills him in broad daylight in front of everyone. And then immediately, yeah. Jack Ruby's reaction is, "What did I do?" It's like he doesn't even remember doing the thing. Well, and the last person to see Jack Ruby before he actually got on the stand in his trial. Well, he had to go in there and make sure that he was seen. Yeah, it was uh, Jolly West. Yeah. Well, Jolly West went in there and made sure he was seen to stand trial. That's right. Well, here's the thing. and, and, And when Jolly West was done, Jack Ruby is insane. Yeah, he doesn't, right. yeah, he doesn't know yeah. anything. Well, that's right. just it. There was there was about a dozen psychologists that took a look at Jack Ruby. Um, several people saw him before Jolly West saw him, and they all came back with the same conclusion: he is not insane, and he is fit to stand trial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jolly West goes in and sees him, 
And this is this is rec- this. He was the only one that ever had solo access to Jack Ruby. Yeah, everyone else, everyone yeah. else had supervision, and he got to go in there. And we know for a fact that he 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 admits that he used hypnosis and sodium pentothal, that which is the uh, the truth serum, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, what do they call it? Um, the truth serum. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. So, but, all right. So we know he shot him up with that, but we don't know what else he shot him up with. What we do know is that afterwards, Jack Ruby had lost his goddamn mind. Mm-hmm. There were several psychologists or psychiatrists that saw him after Jolly West. Yeah, and said he was insane. They all concluded the same thing. Yeah. This man has lost his yeah, mind. The same guys that saw him before that. Yes. Yeah. He had a full-on, they say he, he's had a full-on acute um, psychotic, psychotic break. Episode, yeah. He, yeah, he is no longer. so, And, it, it, and it's just, there is a very hard line between pre-Jolly West and post-Jolly West of the mental state of Jack Ruby, and it's undeniable he really had lost his mind at that point. But that falls right in line with all the other things that, that go around this Colonel West is, you know, <laughs> he gets he gets a hold of somebody or gets near somebody and they either get out of jail free or they have, you know, they lose their minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was interesting because... He really made it a point to insert himself in in that trial in in Jack Ruby's care. It was very surprising that he never tried to insert himself in the Manson he was murders. Nowhere, nowhere near it. Nowhere near it. And he was the leading authority on psychedelic research, behavioral control experiments. I mean, he was so we we know now that he worked for the CIA, but at the time he was denying it. He was just saying that he was a professor at UCLA. They all do. Well, yeah, but but it was later proven, like beyond a, a shadow of a doubt, and he admitted it. And he's also Jolly West is also tied in with MK Ultra. Yeah, mm-hmm. the head of MK, MK Ultra. At the he's, time yeah, he was the head of it. Yeah, he was. No, no he wasn't head of it. Well, though. Alan Dulles was the uh, CIA director. Gottlieb. Gottlieb. Douglas Gottlieb. You're right. Yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, so you know, there's still a Gottlieb in in politics now. Is it from that tree? I don't know if he's related or not, I but mean, it's the same damn name. Yeah, so earlier when I was talking about the correspondences between uh, Jolly West and, and the other guy where they were saying, I can think of no higher no higher purpose or no higher ambition yeah, than Gottlieb. what we're doing. It was Gottlieb, yeah, that was the name I couldn't remember. Um, so yeah, so he's he's involved in that, and then you've got, so so then that becomes, you start asking yourself the question of, why did Jack Ruby do what he did? Could he have possibly been a Manchurian candidate type of thing where he was programmed? So then you say, well, are there any other cases that sort of look similar to the Jack Ruby thing where he does something, doesn't remember doing it, and then he seems like he's perfectly sane, then Jolly West sees him, and then he's batshit crazy, and he ends up taking an insanity plea. Well, there was one other case um, that we know of, a guy by the name of Jimmy Shaver. Now, Jimmy Shaver was, by all accounts, a perfectly normal guy. He was married. He had a family. Uh, he had a military career that he was retired from. One was night, he, Was he retired at the time? I don't think so. I think he was still in the military. Yeah. He might have still been. Yeah. So one night, he's out at a bar with a buddy, his uh, his his buddy at some point at some point um, they get separated and there's this family that pulls over. Um, do you guys like clearly remember the the details of the story? Because 
They, they find a woman who's been... It's a, it's a little girl. There, there's a whole family there, and the little girl goes missing. And so they're, they're, looking, they're trying to find the little girl, and they've got the police involved, and they're all out looking for her. They find her in a construction site, and she's been badly beaten and that raped. Was, that was near the bar. That was near the bar, yeah. It was right outside. Um, and they, they, they go looking for suspects, and they find this Jimmy Shaver guy, and he's all disheveled. He's covered in yeah, blood, blood that, isn't his, that isn't his own. And they, they're looking at him, and he, even, even the police said, you know, he seems, he's not, he doesn't seem drunk, but he does seem intoxicated. He's on something. He, like he wasn't there. Yeah, like he was, he was just completely out of it. And he didn't even know where he was. He had no, yeah, he was, he was saying the similar things to Jack Ruby. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what, what is this blood? How this? And so they, of course, they did a talk screen on him, um, which, you know, cert, certain things are hard to test for, but they, they were mainly worried about his blood alcohol level because he was right outside of a bar and he had been having a, a beer or two with his buddy. I think he kept asking the cops what happened, what happened. Yeah. yeah. So they tested his blood, and he came back. He had a little bit of alcohol in his system, but he wasn't drunk, which lined up with what his buddy said, which was just that, you know, we had a little bit. Um, so basically, they're just grilling this guy because it, he's clearly, clearly he's done this thing. And the guy comes to the same conclusion. He basically admits that he did it, but he doesn't say, oh, yes, I remember doing it. Um, you know, this is why I did it or anything like that. It's just... He's basically looking at it, and he's going, well, I mean, obviously I did it. I had to have done it. Like, yeah, that, that's what he kept saying was, I guess it had I to be it. me. Yeah, I mean, I he guess did, it, I hadn't recognize his own wife. No. He didn't yeah. even know who she was when she showed up at the police station and when he was getting questioned. She did, he didn't know who she was. So he he's didn't com- recognize his wife. So he's completely out of his yeah. mind, and <clears throat> they're trying to figure out, you know, why, why did he do it? So they start, you know, looking into his past. And it turns out that he he had spent time on the Lackland Air Force Base, where um, uh, somebody worked there um, at the same time that Jolly he was there. West. Was it Jolly West? <laughs> yeah. So th- they start looking into. Well, did you ever have any any dealings? Or I mean, they're trying to figure out was what was he like? Because they're just going through. The, they're digging through the guy's past at this point, trying to figure out how we got to where we are. And all they could find out about him, he he was never violent. He never had any problems, but he did have excruciatingly bad migraines every now and then. And these migraines would get so bad that he would dunk his head into a bucket of ice water just to try to get some relief from it. Um, and you know, It's surprising. Now, I guess the military is a little different now, but it's surprising that the military actually kept him in having migraines. Mm-hmm. I know somebody that just got released on medical because he had migraines in the military. Well, they were trying to help him. Apparently, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> they, apparently, right, they I'll thought. I'll take that one. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe they thought they had the cure. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know what they. I don't know what they did to this guy. But it, it, it seems apparent to me. Now, after Jolly West got a hold of him, his memory got a lot more clear. Um, they came up with a narrative, something about he was abused as a child by one of his babysitters, <laughs> and he had mistaken this little girl uh, i mean she was like i don't know she was she, she was, was tiny she, she, was, was, she was young she was like three she or four three, years old yeah. yeah and um yeah so somehow he mistake the he mistook her for his um adolescent 
uh, babysitter, right, right. you know, which, okay. And, and that's why he did what he did, which again, to, he never actually admitted to remembering doing it. He just pretty much came to the conclusion that it had to have been him. And I mean, it pretty obviously was um, physically, but as for the motive, it, it made no sense whatsoever. And again, you can't help but notice Jolly West fingerprints all right. over this. Yep. And the last, the last interesting thing, um, well, there, there's a lot of interesting things about Jolly West, but the last one I want to touch on today to make sure that we cover it is the time. Do you guys know he killed an elephant? Poor yeah. Tusco. Tusco the elephant. We've talked about before, Steve, you've said on here, like we don't know to this day, we don't know what the lethal dose of LSD is to kill a human being. Yeah. But it turns out. They know what it is for an elephant. Yeah, we know exactly what it is for an elephant, and we know that because of Lewis, Jolly, and West. Um, apparently, something to do with their biochemistry, they're more sensitive to LSD than human beings well, are. Well, and he also gave them, he miscalculated and gave this thing uh, 13 times, 1,300 times what he should have. Yeah. Well, because he gave the doses based upon body mass human, of a human being a, but body weight as the absolute and only precursor for uh conversion didn't and, no and it dropped that it dropped that immediately didn't it well ministry. so it, it, well let's let's first of all what were they trying to do why why give lsd to an elephant i mean other than just shits and giggles see what happens you know which it's not going to be able to tell you what's going on no but you can study its behavior and maybe... But, uh, okay, so the, the reason... All right, this is what's interesting about it. The reason they did it, elephants, w- during mating season, they go through something called musk. musk. Yeah. Musk, yeah. So what this is, is it, it, they, they release this oil from some gland. It's like this brownish liquid from, from some gland, and it makes them go a little crazy. It makes them hyper-aggressive, very, so, very aggressive. Even super docile. So they were trying. Are very and, and aggressive. Did you say it was? Is it mu- must? Must. Yeah. So they were trying to induce must. Or must-like behavior. Must-like yeah. behavior. Yeah. To see. So the it, there, his method of trying to to cause this to happen in the elephant was to give him LSD because you know that'll probably perturb his consciousness and they just wanted to see if it would work. Well, and they wanted to get their hands on some of that oil. Well, exactly because they. I think that the idea was, if we can do this in elephants, could we do this in humans? Because they already knew that this existed. They were going to try to extract some of that oil, just like you said, and then they were probably going to use it on humans without their knowledge. And it, that may be the the missing link, because we know Jolly West used LSD. We know he used amphetamines. We know he used sodium pentothal, and we know he used hypnosis. But there seems to be some other some other substance that was in his arsenal that allowed him to break through and actually be able to get people to really change their beliefs Mm -hmm. and really alter their minds in a way that is apparently permanent. And we don't know what that is, but this could give us some insight into the types of things he was looking into, um, you know, chemicals that already exist in other um, animals on the planet that, you know, some who knows what he what he got into. Well, and there's but. there's also too regarding hypnosis. I'm going to throw this in real quick. I can hypnotize somebody, and if I think that they're going to come back eventually at a later date, I can implant a keyword, and then all I have to do is get them in a relaxed state, 
and mention this keyword, and they go right back, back into in. the state that they were in. It's like you're establishing a little bridge, like a neural pathway, sure. to, like a shortcut to get sure. you back there. So if you can get your hands on one of these guys for a psychiatry session or whatever, whatever they believe that they're going in for, and hypnotize them and then implant belief systems and whatever else you're going to do, and then, you know, a year later, you just call them on the phone and mention those keywords. So the winter winter soldier, yeah, yeah, whatever it may be, you know, and bring that person right into that mindset again. So Matt, did you say? Did you remember the name of the elephant? Tusco. Tusco, yeah. Tusco, so Oklahoma City Zoo. Anyway, I know you're all wondering what happened to Tusco. He uh, he he lasted a few minutes. He yeah. lasted a few minutes. He vomited. He fell over. He shit himself, and he died. Right. And yeah. probably died and then shit himself. Um, yeah. Well. <laughs> Anyway, it, it, it made the papers, and actually, it, Jolly West got called out. And just to give you an idea of how different the era was back then, this was a huge punchline. Like, this was a joke that, that he would tell at cocktail parties. He was proud of it. He thought it was great. He's like, I'm the guy. Like, he would come up to give a speech, and he'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, some of you have probably heard of me. I'm the guy that killed an elephant with LSD. And later, one of his colleagues, years later, one of his colleagues redid the experiment at UCLA, but changed the dosing method through dr the drinking water ingestion versus IV injection. And he determined that the, uh, there isn't, you know, it was not a, uh, ingest, there is no ingestible lethal dose for LSD for an elephant. It was just something that went wrong with if the you, injection. Yeah, if you inject it straight into their femoral artery. Mm -hmm. hmm. So yeah, that's, uh, in, in a nutshell, that's a, that's a nice little intro to Jolly West. And he's a figure that's going to come up a lot, um, as we, especially when we get into the JFK stuff, which I want to do a deep dive into JFK. And I want to, I want to watch, um, Ollie North's or uh, Oliver Stone's new, um, Ollie North is an interesting character too. Um, Oliver Stone's documentary that's uh, about, it's on Showtime, but it's about to be released everywhere. So we're probably going to cue that up and get, do like a deep dive into the JFK assassination because, yeah, can you say Iran-Contra? <laughs> <laughs> but for now, that's, that's, gonna, that's all we've got for the main segment, and uh, we're going to move in and talk about free speech a little bit here. Free speech. Free speech. Something that is, 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 that what is we're becoming right more and more limited in the United States. Well, around the world. Yeah, uh, uh, but, I mean, uh, uh, you know. Ca Canadians don't like it. Well, I shouldn't say that. The prime minister doesn't like it. One thing that we must never, ever forget when you start talking about free speech and misinformation is that at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, there were a lot of people that were looking at a virus, a, you know, a, a coronavirus coming out of Wuhan, China, and then looking at a laboratory that studies coronaviruses in Wuhan, in Wuhan China. China and going, hmm. maybe, maybe there's a link. Yeah. And, and it was so, it was so taboo and so against the official narrative. The official narrative was that it came out of a wet market that somebody ate some bat soup and that's how we got to where we are today. And if you said anything to the effect of, we think it came from a lab, we think it leaked out from, from this laboratory, you would actually get banned off of social media. Oh, yes. There were accounts that were taken down. There were posts that were removed. It was, it was labeled as misinformation because it did not toe 
the official narrative. Oh, uh, no, well, not just misinformation, but a lot of people got put under the conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is just a conspiracy that, and, and it's not true. It's misinformation. You can't say that. And of course, now it's been pretty well. It's it's not that it's been proven, but they have found they found a sequence of DNA that exists with within the within COVID nineteen, and this sequence of DNA is identical to the sequence that was present in a Moderna patent from two thousand and sixteen. Now, it's not that it's impossible that this sequence could have come up identical to that one through just natural randomness, but the odds are something like one in a trillion, which is basically, basically zero. impossible. It's about as close a thing to a smoking gun as you're ever going to get. And so now it's accepted that it almost certainly did come from a lab. Now there, there are still articles that are coming out that are saying, you know, uh, it could have been something, it, a lot of stuff I mean, to do with, they just came out with an article that goes, you know, the, the majority are back to, it came from the wet market. Right. But, and yes, it came from the wet market, but where did it come? How did it get to the wet market? Right. It, it, most likely, it got to the wet market from one of the employees well, everyone, at the lab all who the got locals, infected, went to the wet market, yeah, and spread all it the, there. Yes, Homer it spread through there. Theory. It spread through there. Like, all of all of the locals that get their food, a lot of them get their food from the wet market. So, yeah, if it was spreading through the community, that could have been one of the main focal spreading points. That could be where um, patient zero spread it to the most to the highest number of people because that's where large numbers of people gather and you do have everyone with their food that's uncooked that's everything's out and raw and on the table but the point that i'm trying to make with the free speech thing is you've got to be careful about who you say what you label misinformation because it could be the case i mean just never forget the time basically you had Imagine like, all right, there's a velociraptor that's loose on the world and it's running around and eating people. And the first sighting of this velociraptor was in Wuhan, China. So you go to Wuhan to try to investigate where this velociraptor came from and you come up to a giant facility with a big sign that says Jurassic Park. (laughs) And you're like, nah, I don't think it came from there. But you know, the whole fact that we're trying to get what point we're trying to get to is why can't scientists doctors openly talk about where this may or may not you know we may get banned just for having this conversation you know this episode may never see the light of day just because we're talking about it why aren't we allowed to talk about it who cares I mean, we all care, but I mean, why can't we talk about it? Why, why is it why is it wrong to discuss it? Why right. can't why can't we just have an idea? Like, if my idea is bad, walk me through how it's bad. Beat I mean, it with if, a better idea, yeah, beat it with better words. Right? But if you're going to come out well, and not, say, well, not, well, not, not just better, better words. words, beat it with beat it with better, better words speech. and facts. Well, beat it with better speech. That's that's, that's true. you got you got to disprove. You got to prove to me that I'm wrong. Well, yeah, that, that's that's true science. True science is about having debates. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if 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 in fact 
the Velociraptor came about because a crocodile fucked a pangolin <laughs> using a bat as a condom, and then its mutant offspring happened to look a lot genetically identical to a velociraptor just like the ones that they happen to be working on over there in jurassic park well then it is what it is but you you need to be able to prove that to me and in the meantime i'm going to go ahead and believe common sense Mm -hmm. and say it came from jurassic park and the second you take the most logical thing and label it as misinformation and start deplatforming people and calling it you know you you know why that happens why's that because it can (laughs) Uh, no, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. In a way, that's just what it is. Those people, the people that are running Facebook or running Twitter or running you know, any of these platforms that are able to just shut people down, they do it because they can. Yeah. Without I, without any ramifications, without any protest, without any recourse. Oh, no, they have support. They, <laughs> they, have, they have support for they doing, have support for doing yeah. it. Yeah. They have financial that's incentive. Often, it's popular that's, opinion almost to do so. That's why it happens. You've got a, a certain, there's a certain people or a certain group of people in this country that, that only want you to believe what they want you to believe. And if you think otherwise, then they're just going to tell you to go away. They're going to shut you down. They're going to yell over you. You're heretic. And that is why freedom of speech in America is the most important part of being American is to be able to say what you want, when you want, how you want, within certain confines. I mean, you can't go into a movie theater and scream fire, fire and there's no fire. That's, yes, you, you know. Can. Well, that's just it. I mean, you can, yes, you can, you can. if you want to go to jail. You, you, can, you, you can if you, you want to go to jail. Yes, you can, <laughs> but you have you are held responsible for you your actions if you for doing to go to such. But you can. Well, you yeah. can. But you the thing can. is, once we start censoring something we don't like if we allow it to happen once then you've just opened the floodgates for it to continue happening and it's just going to get worse well that's why it's been happening for the last two mm-hmm. years right yeah and, and the point of this segment is let's you know let's be a voice and, and tell people stop worrying if, if you don't like what i'm talking about turn me well, off well i've heard i've heard some people i've heard some people say this they say that um because of the first amendment I don't like what you're saying, but I will defend your right to say it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. I will never ever tell somebody they don't have the right to say oh, what they want yeah, to absolutely. say and have the conversation. I may not like the conversation. Yeah. But it, you know what? I'm at least going to listen to it long sure. enough to go. You know what? I believe yeah. you're wrong, and maybe I don't want to hear that anymore but, because you're you're preaching something that's that's immoral or you're right. You know, so I'm I'm, I'm going to let you be. You go talk. You go spend time with somebody that's like minded that is interested in that subject. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not going to tell you you can't like, do it. Let people that don't like what some people are saying on Twitter, well, just block them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pay attention. Yeah, to you don't it. have to pay attention to it. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean that that goes to like groups like the KKK and and those groups. You can't not let them talk, but you don't have to listen. And the more you don't listen. The, the faster they, they go away. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Yep. Well, so, and also, if you, remove, if you remove these people from the public square where they're allowed to communicate with everyone, then they're never going to get good information. The only people, you're going to remove them from the platform along with everyone else that believes whatever they believe. Then all those people are going to form, they're still going to start talking, but they're only going to be able to talk to each other. 
So you're basically forcing them into an echo chamber where they only they don't ever communicate with anybody that has ideas outside of what they believe. So you're never even giving them a chance to be able to change their mind because they're never presented with better information because you've removed them from the conversation. They're not even on the platform anymore. You know, the KKK is a perfect example of of that type of dynamic where the vast majority of people who were in the KKK that actually had got out, got involved in community, and had real conversations, left the KKK, became decent people, Change the the way they were thinking about Ooh, you stuff. Can't say that. Ooh, <laughs> you know, and, and it's a true fact. I mean, you, there's a lot of documentation that backs that up. That a vast yeah. majority, because they got incorporated in modern American society, their beliefs changed. They got away from that group just enough to hear a different idea and meet new people and recognize that it was a dumb idea yeah. because the answer to bad speech is better speech yep. it's not to silence because you can't because the thing is man you the people that want others silenced right now are are wanting that because the people who are being silenced are saying things that they don't agree with but it will come for you oh yeah it, it, eventually you're going to be on the side oh, yeah. that's believes that believes something or is saying something that runs against the official narrative and then you will be the one silenced and then we'll see how much you like it they will come for you i mean just it, because it, it's, they're on your side now doesn't mean they will be two years from now i mean you look right now and in, in modern society the woke crowd eats its own and has been doing it for two years yeah you get the loudest outspoken woke person on the internet and at some point, they say the wrong thing mm-hmm. at the wrong time. And everybody else who loved the hell out of them for the last two years now is calling them out and disassociating and banning them and shutting them down. That's why that movement will fail. One thing. That movement will fail because it's, inher- it's inherently capped yeah. because no one is pure enough no. to survive yep. scrutiny. No. No. Well, and I'd like to start another conspiracy theory here on the 237 podcast. Okay. Where... Where do all the different groups that are out there protesting other groups, where did the original information actually come from? Conspiracy Who? theories. No, yeah, well, that's, no, I mean, no. But I mean, are, is there a possibility that some group of big old fight, fat white men with cigars and all that, well, you know what, we might need to separate them whites and the blacks and... Luther, I want you to, I want you to open up a website and you start calling calling out the white supremacists. And uh, Vic, I want you to start up the Black Lives Matter website and let's get these groups talking to each other. I said, I said, I said. No, okay, but uh, yeah. Well, I think, I think what it is. It's not maybe not so much that as it is. It's something that just happens naturally. And then rather than pointing out the ridiculousness of it, the mainstream supports it because they see it for what it is, which is a distraction. It's it it comes back to what I said in the belief systems episode, which is like it's the beautiful assistant that the magician wants you looking at. So you don't see what he's doing with his hands. Right. It doesn't matter what we're fighting over, whether it's racism or critical race or, or, um, you know, gender studies or whatever. As long as we're distracted and we're not paying attention to things that actually matter and that are that are real issues. Well, they, they don't want us as a society coalescing 
and coming at them as a single group as long as we're all separated in our own little groups. Correct. They, yeah, they keep us divide and conquer. You yeah. can go back to the 60s and the whole, I mean, why did Jolly West do the things he did? And did it with government blessing? If not, with the government actually pay him to do that, to get into mind, you know, dealing with the mind and altering people's perceptions and all of that, and was right in the middle of the 1960s, peace, love, and better, and that all went away. And most of the people who believed that back then are now in their 60s, 70s, and maybe early 80s, and most of them have gone so far off the left pro-government well, that's actually that it just kind of boggles my mind that these were the people who were anti-government, you know, anti-control, free freedom of speech, and now the don't, don't uh, trust don't trust anybody over thirty. Yeah, and now a big majority of those people are pro-government, anti-speech. How did these? I mean, how did that progression change in people who who grew up believing one set of principles thirty years later? Have completely flipped script. How did how did Neil Young go from the pr- voice of the protest voice oh. of a generation to then calling for banning speech? Yeah. Yes. How how is the price? Yes. The, perfect the, example. The perfect pri- example. The price of listening to keep on rocking in the free world is censorship in 2022. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure that. Yeah. Go figure that one out. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's probably where I want to go uh, for the next episode um, for the for the main meat of, of the of the program. I want to get into. Um, uh, COINTEL Pro, um, the uh, kind of spreading spreading things that ran counter to the the counterculture movement and the the liberals, and also what they did to the Black Panther movement. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. I think that'll be that'll be an interesting interesting pool to wade into next. So that's probably where we're gonna go. And uh, as for what Steve's segment's gonna be, we'll we'll figure that out. I think we talked about it. I've already uh, we talked about it during the break. Yeah, you want to tease it? What what were we thinking about? Well, oh, the plant. Um, what the uh, oh, the random, random number random generators. Number, number generators. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do a little research this week and and try and put enough to. Uh, there's so much information in it, but I'm just like with the crop circles. I'm not going to get into any re- real detail, mm-hmm. but I just want to plant the seed so people can go out there and prepare for. When we do talk about it in detail, <laughs> plant the seed. That's right. There's <laughs> a lot of people that you know they know about the UFOs and they know this and that, but I talk to a lot of people who've never even heard of crop circles. Mm-hmm. So that's why I just brought it up today, and and uh, we'll go into more depth, you know, later on. Yeah, cool. but for now we're going to get out of here. This has been the Two Thirty Seven podcast. Thanks for listening. Keep it weird, people. Thank you. Bye, y'all. See you guys, guys. Have a good one. <laughs>